0: Alan Chewes is the voice of books for NPR's All Things Considered. His latest novel is Song of Slaves in the Desert. His latest work of nonfiction is A Trance After Breakfast. His newest collection of three novellas is Paradise or Eat Your Face. Thank you for joining me, Alan.
1: Great pleasure, Rick, as always.
0: We have some interesting notions in these books because we're looking at the new short story collection by Joyce Carol Oates, Black Dahlia, and White Rose. And I have to ask, is it genre fiction or is it mainstream?
1: Well, that's a good question. I think, um, hmm, well, if it's not mainstream, I guess you could call it, what, um, mystery? But that doesn't work for all of the stories. I mean, there's some stories about... um, the murder of young Marilyn Monroe's uh, Hollywood roommate—I guess that's a mystery. There's a really good story about a family on its vacation out in a rural lake that, that may be directly related to a murder site. But on the other hand, there—you know—there's some stories that don't apply to uh, the, the spirit of genre at all. I mean, is genre just material?
0: Well, here's one thing I would say. For Joyce Carol Oates, just um, based on her perception of the world in general, I would categorize her as a horror author. No, oh, man, you're, you're kidding. No, no, no. Yeah, I'm not kidding at all. I think that even though she doesn't deal very often with the supernatural, um, I think her outlook is fairly bleak and dark and kind of intense. And I think that uh, from that point, from that uh, perspective. I think a lot of her fiction is is pretty much uh, straight up horror. Eh? That's interesting
1: because she's nominally listed, uh, you know, as gothic when she does those books. But gothic, by you know, by the pure definition of what the original so called gothic novels demonstrated, was they they're titillating, but they never do venture re- seriously into the realm of the supernatural, except maybe Melmoth the Wanderer, which is about this immortal. Man who, uh, usually depicted as a wandering Jew who refused to help Christ carry the cross and thus cursed by God and uh, to wander the world for eternity, but most of those uh, Gothic novels from you know from the early 19th century are uh, you know they have a lot of special effects, but they don't really delve into horror the way modern horror writers do.
0: But horror doesn't have to be the supernatural. I mean, Silence of the Lambs is an absolutely horrifying that's book. That's true. Yeah. And there's not an ounce of supernatural. And I think Don't that's what Don't No, makes you're it right. Scarier. You're right.
1: You're right to correct me on that. Um,
0: but I, I think, I mean, no matter what you say, a Joyce Carol Oates collection is is a stupendous and a wonderful, uh wonderful thing to read. And she has a whole, you know, a, a vast swath of variety in here. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, I mean, I I, I really liked uh, that the the story uh, anniversary. Yes. I thought that was a, that was a very intense and very interesting look at somebody who, out of place, inserted into a place where they you know don't necessarily belong. And I think there's really well crafted. Uh, sense of perception in that story.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I think my favorite may be The Good Samaritan. About, it's told at a certain distance in time from the incident by this uh, American composer, uh, a woman who composes music and teaches music at a university, and she ponders this incident out of her early college days when she finds a wallet on a train and tries to f- return it to the, the address where the woman supposedly lives, but the woman is gone, and her husband there, a kind of really creepy guy, seems to be remorseful that the woman's gone, but there's always this implication that he's had something to do with her disappearance. (laughs) So it does deal with with, uh, that sense of uh, uh, imminent violence and imminent mayhem that haunts a horror novel.
0: In in uh, the nineteen eighties that would have been considered an absolutely classic work of what they called quiet horror. Uh-huh. There was a whole there was the, uh, there were the splatter punks, the people who would just, you know, show you everything and mm-hmm. kind of gross you out. And then there were the, the the School of quiet horror, led by Ramsey Campbell, largely, who mm-hmm. would just kind of keep things in the background and make it very mm-hmm. disturbing and that that's a perfect example of that it's very unsettling. You can walk away with it, you have no idea what happened, but there's mm-hmm. no it does not leave you feeling happy
1: mm-hmm. but that, you... so Poe invents that for us right yeah where it we get the effect, but we're you know we never cross over into a... well we do in in uh The uh, narrative of Arthur Gordon Pym, Mm -hmm. which is maybe the single greatest American horror story. But now then, we have to talk about other American horror writers. (laughs) uh, Lovecraft, for example, who who does show us the face of horror,
0: Well, he just shows us, uh, well, he's most famous for showing us, like, the fingernail of horror. (laughs) And letting you imagine what what it's connected to.
1: You know, we're not finished with Joyce O's yet, but Mm -hmm. a little footnote. I watched uh, The Cabin in the Woods last night. Have you seen it?
0: Uh, No, I haven't.
1: It's an incredible fusion of uh, horror, you know, this haunted cabin and... Scientific, really futuristic technology that leads the world to the brink of disaster i won 't spoil it by telling you how they combine, but they they fuse rather nicely in this movie. I recommend it in any case so joyce Oates writes about the menace in everyday life mm-hmm. uh i don 't think she would see herself as a horror writer; she'd see herself as like most serious uh genre writers. Uh, She's writing about the world as she understands it.
0: Right. Now, uh, one thing I would say about Joyce Carol Oates, too, is for me, I think, uh, when it comes to genre, the the defining terms of genre are using the genre as a means of limiting your choice is going in as a writer, mm-hmm. saying, I'm going to write a horror story, and it's going to have these elements. And that generally makes it easy, and some writers can use that to, uh, to make that fully artistic and very intense and wonderful. But Joyce Carol Oates kind of comes at it for the other side. As you say, she sees life as fairly bleak in the first place. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. And then what she writes just comes off in much the same way as somebody who going in says, "I'm going to write a story about somebody who finds a wallet, and it's an unhappy experience for mm-hmm. all involved."
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, in a way, you could call what she does everyday gothic. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, yeah, that's a that's a perfect example, uh, a way to describe it. And no matter how you describe it, though, it's these are superb, wonderful, very intense reading experiences and enough in in almost any of these stories to uh, 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 be the equivalent of many full-on novels, I think.
1: Absolutely. I'd agree. But now, this new uh, collaboration by Gregory Benford and Larry Niven, clearly, called Bowl of Heaven, clearly is a science fiction novel.
0: Absolutely. And, And of the old school... Um, you've got uh, the big object. This is a generation starship. This is a, a classic idea that's been around for um, long enough to have sent a generation starship somewhere, actually three generations right. as far as that goes. But what what's great about the science fiction genre and, and makes this book uh, quite enjoyable is that um, it's only limited to your imaginations and you can when you can work stuff out, science every day throws out more stuff for us to play with and weave into the stories. And if you get two guys like this who know their science and know how to tell a story, you've got a good uh, first half of a novel.
1: Is there, is there a kind of reversal in which, you know, say, when Arthur Clarke was writing, he would give ideas to the scientists from his fiction right Oh, now. absolutely. So here we have scientists introducing these ideas themselves into fiction, is it? Uh, it seems to me a kind of reversal, but produces wonderful effects. I mean, this uh, Bowl of Heaven, which I guess is some something like Niven's Ring World, uh, has this has the uh, the interstellar ship encounter what what they call a vast contrivance this bowl-shaped structure in space. It's so large it contains a star, and it's so large in design. It's got millions of miles of surface where. Creatures in that creatures inhabit, and uh, you know in the space travelers land, and this is not a spoiler because this is going to be this is the first in a series, I believe mm-hmm. they discover these uh, well I call them big birds right mm-hmm. yeah, and, and there's a it seems to be a, they discover a connection to life on early earth because these big birds they think are descended from dinosaurs. It,
0: um. They do a lot of. I think that I really like that. I love the uh, the characterization and the the design of the aliens. I love a good alien. And I, <laughs> I, well, I mean, I I think because so you know what I like is aliens that are not just uh, um, eating machines. The equivalent of the shark and Jaws. Yeah. These these guys have characters. They they have they have a plan, and it's maybe not necessarily uh, good for the humans they encounter. But it's certainly an entertaining book to read. Oh yeah, I yeah. mean, it, it, it's it. These guys, uh, the uh, Niven and and Benford, they, it's a seamless book. You don't see this is the Niven part, this is the Benford right. part, and that's because they're both very much. They know their science, hard science, and they they both have been writing for a, a million years. It seems like and writing really good, and this is I think uh, a great collaboration.
1: Yeah, it's um. It It is, and, it, and as you say, seamless, and, and it ends. I mean, they get us exactly where they want us when this volume ends. It, the landed interstellar travelers are on the run from bi- these big birds, and we don't know what's going to happen. Uh, they're hiding out on this, you know, millions of square miles of surface, which is it's either like a bowl, the inside of a bowl, or an inverted cup, depending upon uh, how you look at it. And we really don't know what's going to happen, but they're all drifting towards some destination in space. They both have the same destination in space, that's what we learned before the end of this volume.
0: And and I think uh they do a good job of keeping you interested, but it's, you know, satisfying enough to, to not like feel like uh you really want to read the next book, but yep. you're not gonna like murder them for stopping where they did.
1: Right. And so if you want to get in on the, the opening of what's a fabulous series i think this is you know this is your chance
0: yeah and and this is a great example of of genre fiction they said okay i'm we're writing a we're writing a generation starship space opera it's going to have aliens it's going to have conflicting humans we'll have a lot of Viewpoints. Mm-hmm. We'll have some worlds we build, yep. and we're going to go. It it has it hits all of the genre points, but it these two guys within that all those restrictions, all that maze, they fill it up with uh, great stuff. And that's... It,
1: it, it reminds me of I mean the way you put it. It reminds me of that wonderful story uh, about uh, Victor Hugo who meets a, a young man in a cafe in Paris, and the man says, "Sir, I admire your work enormously." Uh, I too am trying to write a novel and and he said, "May I tell you the plot?" and Hugo listens to De Flay and he says, "Yes, interesting plot." And and the young man says, "Well, how many words do you think it'll take me to do this?" And Hugo without missing a beat says, "Oh, 300 to 400,000," he says. And they had better be be the right ones. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so, it, it's the, all easier said than done. Yeah, There's I mean the dog. way you describe it, it's a you know it's a a, a terrific kit for building a a a, a new interstellar uh, space opera. But boy, you've got to know how to make your scenes, and and you've got to use your imagination more than the term genre usually would uh, suggest to most people.
0: Well, and these guys too, it's important to point out that uh, that these guys too have been doing this for what. 30, 40, 50 years? I mean, that's a long time. You do that long enough, you actually get good at it. And and yeah. these guys certainly have.
1: They are. They are. And, you know, if we talk about genre, the spy novel, mm-hmm. uh, there's this uh, really terrific English spy thriller called A Foreign Country that I, I think is uh, worth picking up for those of you who love really intelligent spy fiction. Mm. Um in England, and then the Arab world. I mean, the first female head of British intelligence is abducted as the novel begins. She's gone missing.
0: Stella Remington, actually, <laughs> she was the first. Uh, yeah, and uh, she's a, a decent author in her own right.
1: Yeah, well, it, it, it's it's really um, terrifically done, and and in a kind of world weary tone because of the main character. His uh, husband, a guy named Cal, has been put out the pasture. He's taken the fall on a a, a misfired uh, operation by MI five, and uh, he he's called back in from the cold to try to find this uh, the uh, disappeared head of British intelligence and gets into quite a lot of a mess because uh, he finds her, not because he doesn't.
0: Well, and I think what's interesting too is you know the. Again, here we have a a nice work of genre fiction where we know there'll be reveals, crosses, double crosses, all sorts of identity and layers uh, peeling away. But he, I think, you know, in the espionage genre world, what really helps is to have a really nice prose style, and and oh yeah, and I think that uh, coming really really nails that to to tell us this story as you say in this kind of world weary way um, that. For how world weary I guess it is, it ratchets up the tension really nicely, and and keeps you. It's very intense and involving as well.
1: Yes, and, and um, he, this, this Kel is a really interesting character. Just weary enough of the world of Spiedom to uh, show a certain reticence, but savvy and smart enough to do what he needs to do when it's time to do it. I guess you could, in a way, the, the genre itself seems to work in that fashion. I mean, when you get a slam bang spy shoot 'em up spy novel, the way you know you get in in, in some of the second rate uh, from the second rate writers, uh, they're nowhere near as interesting as, as the tones, I guess, set by Le Carré, mm-hmm. but uh, carried out by Robert Littell and Charles McCary, and Alan First, certainly. But this guy is as good, I think.
0: There's a certain level of kind of detail, too, that I really Mm -hmm. like, Mm -hmm. that you just feel like you really inhabit this world and this character. And uh, he does a really good job of uh, creating a world that's not a world any of us live in. I mean, uh, we don't live in these kind of worlds where people's identities are not what they prove to be. Things happen that uh, have one apparent explanation, but it might be one very another. I mean, I I think that uh, creating that kind of uh, uncertainty uh, takes a lot of skill, and Cummings really has it.
1: Yeah, yeah. And the one thing thing you can count on in the genre is, among the best that these writers produce um, is just enormous pleasure, enormous intelligence in in its double meaning. Mm -hmm. But the pleasure is the most important, I think. I I read them, you know, as diversion. But um, I mean, I I could do, um, you know, a year of just reading thrillers. I suppose if if are you think there are enough out there to supply a whole year's worth of reading.
0: I think you could pre- come pretty darn close. I like mean, a
1: like a banquet of desserts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: uh, I think that that uh, well the the pleasure of reading too though is to you know. Uh, mix it up you you want to have a, a rich dessert and then you want to have a carne asada taco
1: <laughs> that's the right, that's the way i see it you know eating across the menu yeah sometimes you want a filet mignon sometimes you want a big mac yeah
0: well i, I think that uh, what's great about uh, these three books is they all display slightly different aspects of genre we have two full on genre titles and another one that kind of comes in to it backward mm-hmm. but i i think that this is what makes reading great. These are three very, very different books. You, I mean, in in some senses, you might never expect their readers to overlap. But I think any reader of any one of these books would really enjoy the other two.
1: As and well. they're all filled with one kind of an or another of intelligence. I mean, they're they're beautifully made. They're really interesting, and they show you the world as it probably is. And they're also great great pleasure that comes with it.
0: Absolutely. I've been speaking with Alan Jews. He's the voice of books for NPR's All Things Considered. His newest novel is Song of Slaves in the Desert. His newest collection of short novellas is Paradise or Eat Your Face. His latest book of nonfiction is A Trance After Breakfast. Thank you for joining me, Alan.
1: Great pleasure as always, Rick.